You're listening to the She is Fierce radio show. She is Fierce connects women to each other and their dreams. You'll meet incredible women who all have one thing in common. They took a leap. They've got passion. They're on a mission. They're doing exciting and rewarding things, and they want to help you take your big leap. And now your host, She is Fierce founder, Kelly Youngs. This is Kelly Young's founder of She Is Fierce and host of the She Is Fierce podcast. As we get into our weekly Tuesday morning podcasts featuring incredibly fierce women who have spoken on our stage, I am so pleased to introduce you to a woman who will inspire you to find and follow your purpose, Kristen Keene. Kristen is the founder of ReThreaded, an organization that renews hope, reignites dreams, and releases potential for survivors of human trafficking. Kristen lived and worked for five years in India, where she encountered the life-stealing effects of the area's sex trade on a daily basis. She co-founded a safe haven for women there, which now employs 120 people. Rethreaded was born out of a desire to serve women in similar situations here in the United States. Kristen knew the biggest need was for a safe, supportive work environment where survivors could earn money while learning a skill and experiencing continued healing through community. Among many other awards, Kristen has been named to the Jacksonville Business Journal's 40 Under 40, she has been called a woman of vision, and she has been recognized by the Florida Retailer Federation as Outstanding Retail Leader of the Year. I hope her story of recognizing your purpose and working tirelessly to bring it to life will inspire you to find your own new path, whatever your current situation is. story has been shaped by the women that I've met, by the countries that I've lived in, by all the experiences that I've had. And this has been a theme where I vacillate in between the moment, sometimes that it's dark, sometimes that it's so hard, and the bigger picture and the story. Um, Because my life is not, it's never what I planned. I did not plan in starting companies I was fine. I was going to be married by 23 and three kids by 30. Done. Stay at home. No problem. I'm 40 and not married. No kids. And I'm kind of happy. (laughs) (laughs) So I I do this work because there's a lot of reasons. Um, But one of the reasons is from my own story. Some incidences that happened to me as a, am I, late high school, early college, surrounding sex. Um, I felt that that was where my worth and value was. And, um, and th- through those experiences, I was like, I never want another woman to feel that way again. So that kind of started this journey in my life where I wanted women to know their worth and their value. So then when I, I majored in nutrition, 
got my license as a dietitian, and then I decided that's not what I wanted to do. So I went into campus ministry for two years, and it was there that I ended up going to India for a four-month trip to India, because I heard that they had just started work with women in the red light district. Um, so I went there for four months, had my world totally rocked, went back on staff. And I'm going to share a story with you that I've actually never shared publicly, but I just feel like I need to share it tonight. Um, when I first got there, we would go to the red light districts one or two days, and my other work that I did was called Working Station. So Calcutta has, I don't know, like 25 million people in it. I mean, it's this huge, crowded city, and there's this train station called Howard Station. It's one of the busiest train stations in the entire world, and I would... It was called Working Station. So I was on a small team of people, and we would go to the train station, and we would walk the platforms, and we would pick up the dying, and we would take them to Mother Teresa's home. So I'd, I'd been on staff for probably a month. I had like a basic knowledge of Bengali, the language. It was my, and it was my first day working station. And the rule when you work station is, on your first days, you never get left alone. So I was with my friend Bert when we were walking the station and we found someone. And there was a woman, she's probably like 25 years old. And when we found her, she was laying in her own piss and she, covered in, I'm just gonna say it, shit. And she had a, a huge gash on her leg and there was maggots coming out of it. She had flies on her around her face and her nose, and people all day long are just passing her, and she's laying there. So I, so the guy I'm with is like, okay, I gotta go get a wheelchair, we gotta go get her, we gotta get her to the home, and he leaves me, first day on the station, and all I knew what to do is that I kneeled, I kneeled down by her, and I, picked her up as good as, as good as I could, and I put her in my arms, and in my broken Bengali, I was like, Jesus is with you, and I was like, I am with you, and I just held her, and then right there in my arms, she had her last breath, and it was this crazy intersection of like, how could this happen? How could this woman be left here? But then also like, how could, out of the entire world, of all the moments, that I get the sacred honor of holding her? I don't know her story. I don't know what happened to her. I don't know where she was from. I, don't, I, don't, I knew nothing about her except in that moment I was with her at her last moment. And I feel like this is kind of how life is, isn't it? Like this mixture of like these crazy moments of time that sometimes don't make sense, but then there's this bigger story that emerges out of it. And I think of her a lot. And then my work there, um, I stopped doing station, and I started the, working with women in the red light district full time. Um, the red light district where we worked, there was 10,000 women, 30% underage. Um, and I would spend all my days 
going up and down the red light district, just forming friendships with women. Um, I learned the language, the local language Bengali. We got some local staff members with us, and I would spend eight hours a day just talking with women and hearing their stories. Um, and after two years, I was like, if I hear another story, I'm gonna, I am going to go crazy. I can't just not do anything. So not really knowing what we would ever start or what we were birthing, me and my friend Sarah um, started a business. We started it with three women in this tiny little corner of this tiny little room in Calcutta, India, sewing blankets with three women um, because we wanted women to have a place where they could know their worth and their value, and they could be surrounded by community, and they could have their lives transformed. And so it was there. Um, my friend Sarah is actually the one that gave the business, started to get the business structure and grow it. So then I would spend four days in the red light district and one day in the business. So the one day in my business was my reality. This is the reality. Like, I got to be with women who were having their hope renewed, having their lives changed, that were being transformed, that were living in community. And that one day, that one perspective was big enough to send me out into the red light district for four days to sit with women, listen to their stories, um, and be witness um, to what was, what was going on in their lives. And little did we know that with those three women, um, we would birth a company that now employs 120 women in India. Um, that out of sitting and listening to stories that we would birth this business called Sari Bar. You can buy their stuff here. <laughs> um, so I actually stayed for the first three years of that business. And then I moved back to the States. So I took a job at WIC, which is Women, Infant, and Children. I actually used my degree finally in nutrition. And I was in public health. And I took this job and I said, I know that my heart is still to see women free from the sex trade industry. I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know what we're going to do. But this is still my heart. And I'm only going to do this job two to three years. And then that's it. I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. So it was during that time that I, I actually started a, a for-profit company. It was called Mukti. Um, and the idea was that we would import the Sari Bari products and grow big enough to hire two or three women. And that was the vision. So I did all these home parties. I was doing home parties every weekend and putting all the money in the bank and growing, growing the bank, growing some kind of the business. And it wasn't until um, at WIC one day. Uh, I was the, the registered dietitian, so I got to see... Um, patients, clients that had higher, higher risk. So there was a little girl, she was about one and a half years old. She had a, a problem nutritionally, so I was seeing her every month. And then one month she came in and she had two casts on her legs. And she was with a woman who I knew was a foster care parent. I was like, oh my gosh, what happened to her? And she said her mother's boyfriend had gotten mad at the child and twisted her legs and broke them both and didn't take her to the hospital for two weeks. And like something inside me was like, you need to listen to this. This is a bigger picture. 
And I've always wanted to be a foster parent. My heart's always towards justice. Um, and the next day, I get an email from my friend who's been trying to have kids, trying to adopt, and she said, we have good news, we're gonna be parents in three months in March, and we're looking for a nanny, um, part-time. If you know anyone, let me know. And that was the day that I emailed her back, kind of jokingly, and I was like, well, what if I just quit my job at WIC, and I'm your nanny, because I just met this kid in foster care, um, and I could just work part-time and then develop refreded the rest of the time. <laughs> and it was that little girl that kind of pushed me forward, like pushed me forward to do the thing that scared me the most. A part-time nanny salary is not enough to live on. I didn't sleep for like three nights because I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? We're not going to have money. This isn't going to work. I don't know what I'm doing. How can I do this? I don't know anything about starting a business. I don't know how this is work. You know how you... You go around in your head over and over again. And I talked to my friend at church that Sunday, and she looks at me and she says, which are you going to regret more? Taking this opportunity or not taking it? And I was like, damn it, I want to quit my job. Yes, let's go. <laughs> and I quit my job. My, the first, that was the first time in my whole life I had health insurance and a regular paycheck. And I was like, I can't believe they're paying me this much money. <laughs> and I quit. I quit my job, became a nanny for a year. And then a year after that, doing home parties, pouring in, um, I, some people began to rally. I formed a nonprofit. We got a board. It was that April um, that once again, I was like, I don't know really how this is going to work. I don't, we don't really have enough money to pay me for more than two or three months. Um, and I quit my job as a nanny to do rethreaded full-time because I had a glimpse of what could be. Like I, at that time, those first two years, I was also meeting with women and I would hear their stories. Um, I would hold them when they wept. I would laugh at them. We would write them letters in jail and we were doing this in partnership with another survivor-led organization. Um, and I was finding that the same thing existed in Jacksonville as existed um, in India. And there was no different. Women's lives are being torn apart. Um, and you can't start a new life if you don't have a new job. So then we launched Rethreaded on July of 2011. And it was just me on staff at that point. One of my best friends, Natalie, planned the launch party. We had been donated a warehouse with no air conditioning in the middle of July. Um, we launched it and we were expecting about 200 people to show up. And we had 500 people show up. And to this day, in our history, we'll be six. We haven't had that many sales as our, since our opening day. Um, and then with, this is, if I, I can write a book on what not to do, so I can tell you this. Um, and then with all my dreams, with the idea on a napkin becoming more and more of a reality, um, we launched Rethreaded. And we hired our first three women in November of 2011. And we hired three women from the City Rescue Mission. 
And it was the scariest, it was probably the scariest thing I've ever done because suddenly um, it was me, I hired a part-time bookkeeper, an intern, and three survivors full-time in a sewing company where I didn't really know how to sew that much <laughs> with an undeveloped kids line product. Um, we launched it, we had some amazing moments, and then at that time training was four months, and two days before training ended, two women relapsed. One woman, one woman just disappeared. No one, I didn't, we didn't know where she went, we didn't know what happened to her, she disappeared. And the next day at work, one of our women tested positive for cocaine. So all these dreams, all everything that we held, everything that we had poured our life in, suddenly um, two-thirds of it, we felt like we failed. We got back up and we hired four more women. We improved our program. Um, and then once again, within three months, two people relapsed again. And it was during those the first two years of Rethreaded, I was probably working 80 to 100 hours a week. I, we were still doing most of our business through home parties, and I was doing, you know, five to six home parties during Christmas. I was starting to lose friends. Um, I was starting to like not be able to sleep at night because I was so in my head, like, how are we? How is this going to happen? I don't think I can do this. <laughs> the voices in my head became really loud. I remember this one story where. <laughs> Uh, it was probably a year in, and I'm not the most organized person. Uh, I'm a classic entrepreneur. And I was in my car, and I lost a really important paper, like a really important paper to the company. And I'm in my car, and I'm literally screaming at myself. Like, the voices in my head are like, you are so stupid. Like, how are you going to do this? Why? You should, not, you should not be the one leading this. You should not be the one leading this. And I think that was... A lot of times during those two years is when I got pulled away from this. Like, I got pulled into um, the overwhelmingness of it, and I lost, a couple times I lost where I was going, what I had dreamed of. I didn't know how it was going to work or how it was going to be possible, but that's also when um, my community rallied around me. That's when uh, my friends would just pick, like, literally pick me up. <laughs> like you can do this and literally pick me up and brush me off and send me back out there. That's when one of the women at, at Rethreaded at that time is like, um, we need you. Like, we need you to do this. And she said, get back up. And she's like, we're with you. And it was that the community of a majority women and we would start to help each other get back up and find the bigger picture again. And those are the moments when the voices in my head got quieter. Um, the voices of love and encouragement started to win more. And now Rethreaded is going to be six. And that is just amazing. We have provided over 28,000 hours of work. And we went from a 50% retention rate to a for the past year and three months, we've had a 92% retention rate.
like everything I dreamed about in those early years is happening. Like everything that I dreamed about is happening. Like I, when I was talking to the staff the other day and when people ask me how things are rethreaded, I'm like, rethreaded feels so thick now. Because I felt for two or three years, I was just running the plates, trying to keep it together, not seeing a lot of fruit, not seeing a lot of transformation. But now, I get to see women. One of my honors as the, the founder and president is that I get, to, I get to meet women on their first interview. It's my favorite thing I get to do. Um, I'll sit down with them. We'll talk about that. We'll go through their resume and go through their work history. And then they share with me a little bit about their story. Um, inevitably, one of us is crying through it. And they're just like, this is the only job interview where I tell you the worst things I've ever done, and that's the requirement to get hired. <laughs> and I ask them, like, what do you dream? Like, what do you dream? Where do you want to be? What are you good at? Um, and a majority of women only have, like, a sliver of who they are, a sliver of what they want their dreams to be. And so I get to pour into women like I was poured into. Like, when I look at them, I can, I can envision their future. Like, I can look at a woman who a majority of our women have been rejected by our culture and our society and shamed, and I can... I feel like it's God's grace look at them and I see hope and vision and life in them just like people saw in me and called out life in me. And that is what I feel like I'm pouring back into women. Um, and in return, those women are pouring it into other women. Um, one, of our, one of our employees um, went through severe trauma at an early age and got out late 20s, um, was clean and sober, um, taking care of her family and working. The only job she could find was at Waffle House. She was at Waffle House for five years. Had never dealt with anything that had happened to her. Um, it was her fault. It was shame, and it was all locked in there, locked away. And now um, she's been with us for about a year. Um, and now she's moving into leadership. And she has transformed into a different person. She said it, every morning we have devotion, we light the candle to remember the women that are still out there and then we just share. Um, and she said, six years ago, I never ever would have been able to dream. And our director of operations had spoken over her, one day you're gonna be the manager of 40 women. Um, and that's what, Every day at Devotion, she talks about, I've never had anyone believe in me. I've never had anyone believe in me. I'm learning so much. I've never had anyone believe in me. And now she's the one that gets to welcome the new girl in. And this is the most amazing thing about Rethreaded. It's the same thing that happened in Saribari. I just think women so much get a bad rap, and it's such BS. Like, we have all women and one man on staff and we have an amazing culture that is rich and deep in life. And it's women supporting women and women um, empowering other women. Um, and it's the same thing that happened in, in, in Saribari in India. Like, women started to bring their friends to freedom. 
They started to call the women that they knew on the streets into freedom, and that's the exact same thing that happens at Rethreaded, is women are now bringing their friends into Rethreaded. So we had 10 women. We started two new women last, in, last week, and everyone is so excited to welcome people in to the new workplace. They're like, I can't wait for them to get their new t-shirts. I can't wait to get to have them the first day. Like, so excited to give what has been given to them. And one of the new ladies um, said the other day, she's friends with some of the ladies. She said to our director of operations, she's like, I knew I would be okay if I could just get to rethreaded. Like, if I could just get there, I'm going to be okay. Because there's something about um, our culture and our environment um, that is so safe and sacred, and it's this. Because I think our women and our staff live out of this reality now. Like, there is a bigger story in my life that some days I don't even know, but there is goodness and hope and love, and I'm going to live out of that reality now. And this is how we operate out of. And I think that is really what is transforming lives. So, rethreaded is now way bigger than me. <laughs> and it is one of the greatest honors that I've had in my life to be a part of the bigger story. Like, to start with this idea on a napkin. Like, I felt so ridiculous. I wrote an idea on a napkin, and I was like, we're going to take donated t-shirts, hire women coming out of the sex trade industry, and we're going to transform lives. And people were like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> and now it's the audacious faith. And now our women say the same thing, yes. Let's do it. Um, but the thing about me is that um, there's, all, I've, I just, there's always more. Like, there's always more. There's more women that need help. Like, there's more women on the street. In any city you go to, you find it. And you, um, and you find women that need, there's women in this room, I guarantee you, <laughs> who need the voices to be silenced and to need to change the reality to live out of this this is the reality. And I, and I think that comes from community and believing in one another and bringing stuff to the light. So that's my, that's my challenge. That's what I want to leave you with, is what is the bigger part of the story that you're missing? Like what in your life has silenced, has, um, is stopping you from dreaming? and is stopping you, what voices are in your head that tell you you can't do it, um, that are shaming, shaming the deepest parts of you. Because I'm telling you that when you get taken out of the game, the world misses what you're bringing to the table. Like the world needs you to bring to the table who you are. Because it is powerful and it matters. Oh, and it is fierce. There we go. <laughs> so that is what I am going to leave you with. And what a message. 
the power of women using their own privilege to lift up others and give them new opportunities, security, and friendship, a sense of worth, and a future to look forward to. Kristen and Rethreaded are inspiring to me, and I hope you will take this story, the first of many featuring our past She Is Fierce talks during our 2020 podcast season, as a reminder that no matter what you're struggling with today, whether you've been knocked down by challenges this year and you're searching for a renewed sense of purpose, or if you're still up and fighting, hustling through that middle part of creating something meaningful, whether it's a business, a hobby, a family, or just a life of meaning, that you'll think back on Kristen's story and know that the best success stories don't always have straight, easy paths. And sometimes the rough patches help you hone the skills and senses you'll need when you reach your next level of success and start dreaming even bigger and setting even more audacious goals. Thank you so much for joining me as we listen to Kristen's inspiring story. I'll meet you in the next episode of our brand new season.